Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Shazam! But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? <laughs> on this podcast, we like to talk about games, but also movies, and also just generally uh, all of the things that appeal to the all-purpose nerd community, I guess I would call it. Um, Shazam is the most recent movie to come out of the DC Extended Universe, which we have talked about pretty extensively. We've covered every single movie of theirs, I guess, on the podcast. Yeah, every single movie. Um, yeah. And so uh, it makes plenty of sense that we'll we'll get get into it when it comes to Shazam. But before we do anything crazy when it comes to spoilers, I figure uh, we should probably start with just a general overview of things mango how did you feel about shazam i thought shazam was all right i thought it was like a solid b plus like very comparable in more ways than one to like a middle of the road uh marvel movie uh i think the kind of takeaway i would or tagline to give to this is, is if you thought the marvel movies were too edgy for your kids to see take them to see shazam instead but you think Shazam is less edgy than a Marvel movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't okay. think it's less. Like yeah, like I, I think I see where you're going with that, and I don't think it. It is. It's like darker. I don't think but it's like l- it's less emotional. Like when you think PG thirteen, you think swear words and like you know puerile humor that you don't give to to children yeah, because yeah, oh, you yeah, think oh, that yeah, they okay. have virgin ears. There's like right? sex humor. Yeah. There's yeah. like yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I I see where you're coming from. Um, cause, uh, yeah, there are definitely some things about Shazam that I thought, uh, I was like, wow, that's crazy that they did this for a kid's movie. But I also, but like in a good way, yeah, you know, um, and I, which I, which I obviously, uh, really appreciate. Um, I definitely think that Shazam is good. Uh, this is one of those times where like, there's a big split between whether or not I like something and whether or not I think it's good. Um, I feel like if I was, you know... 10 or 11 i would be all over this movie like come on this is you know this is exactly what it's built for and it should be built for and it was um i guess i would say definitely built in the in the right kind of way and so i i sort i certainly think that it's very good um my big thing is whether i i'm having a tough time sort of deciphering my own uh thoughts about whether or not i like it um, there's kind of a school of thought in my head that says Shazam is a kid's movie, like a Pixar movie or like a DreamWorks movie. And in the same way that I look at a Pixar or a DreamWorks movie, you know, and, and I, which I like a lot, right? Like, you know, I think Kung Fu Panda is amazing. Um, and when I compare Shazam to Kung Fu Panda, I'm like, yeah, like these are pretty close. Um, and they do sort of similar things and I should look at it on the kind of on the positive side, like a glass half full side and say, this is a lot like Kung Fu Panda. But if I do look at it as like a mediocre Marvel movie, um, it bothers me in the same way that a lot of those kinds of movies bother me. Um, and it makes a lot of the mistakes that I have chastised, I would say, uh, Marvel for making when it comes to these sorts of things in the uh in in kind of like the the construction of its plot and the direction and force 
um, of its narrative. And that's not, and, and, and that's, that's a me, like, that's very much a me thing, which is how I interact with some of the, the pieces of the movie. So, um, I want to, I do want to be clear, like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very good. Uh, I think most people will, will have a good time with this, but I'm having a tough time figuring out if I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I would stop short of calling it very good. I'd call it like solid, um, you know, I like the if if we're gonna give it a grade, I'd give it a B plus, um, which is like kind of what I give a lot of like the mid tier Marvel movies as well. Um, so like Ant Man and the Wasp, Ant Man and the Wasp. I think this movie. is better than Ant Man and the Wasp, but yeah. like yeah, that's uh, kind of my thing. Is I think this is better than most of those. I'm trying to think of like the other sort of like mid tier Marvel movies and like the super forgettable Marvel movies, right? Like yeah, I, I, like, I, I don't think this is like super forgettable but like i think this is like what i don't know, like for fans of the cast they will like you know my conception of black panther i think falls into this even though that's not the popular conception oh yeah yeah i feel uh, you um what else would kind of be there i guess like doctor strange um is probably a, a good good one where my where my conception matches the popular conception um so yeah, yeah. Um, well, did you have anything else you wanted to go into before we hit the spoiler section, buddy? Uh, I do not think so. Uh, I do not think so. So, all right, spoil well, what, spoil it up. Well, in that case for the uh, people at home, if you would like to see Shazam without any spoilers, uh, then uh, stop listening to this podcast now. Go out and watch it, and uh, come back and listen then. Uh, but this is your warning. Um, and spoilers will begin uh, momentarily. So, um, you're the big DC person on, on, on this cast, buddy. Do you want to lead us off with any, any kind of, of your spoilery thoughts? Uh, so, yeah, so my wider thoughts about how this kind of slots into the DC EU, um, I guess I'll just start there. So my big thing about about this that I like a lot when it comes to those is that it is doing the same thing that basically all of the DC Universe movies have been doing, which is sort of like using the same visual language and um, kind of like vocabulary that was established in Man of Steel. Right, like so, there's a lot of Man of Steel in this movie from like a cinematographic and an editing perspective. When it comes to these big superhero fights, they actually have one, and we've seen this a little bit in the trailers. Um, but they actually have that fight in the in the city, and there's a whole bunch of kind of like Man of Steel filmmaking in there, which is the thing that I that I am most keyed into because um, I really like that kind of filmmaking, and I think it makes for very good action filmmaking, which I is true of this film just as much as it's true of basically all of the um dc extended universe films except for suicide squad because that movie is awful and also kind of justice league but um the um but i do think that and, and the other thing is is that it also has like the darker tone in some spots right like this isn't like an I, I saw somebody call this an action comedy, and I'm kind of a little bit like, boy, like this gets really dark to be considered a, like an action comedy. I mean, I, and I, I definitely, don't know. I, I, th I think it is mostly a comedy, right? Like there's like a couple of dark moments, but you know that happens in 
other, like in some of the Marvel films too, I think. Like, yeah, it doesn't get as dark as, you know, the kid's mom saying that he doesn't want him, but I don't know. I, yeah, I think it, it was that, and then it was like Dr. Savannah, like, that was like a horror film, you know, like him go, coming to the board meeting and like murdering everybody. Um, but and so there really was like, feel and, horror-y, right? Like, it, like, I don't know. I felt like I was like, I felt like the movie was a, was wanting me to laugh when he threw the the brother out the window. Uh, I did not feel that way. <laughs> I was actually I was really surprised about some of that stuff because I felt like the movie had some kind of you know, it wasn't so, uh, it wasn't so dark until that point. Like there was some yeah. you know like there was some of that kind of like grit and edge in the beginning uh but like the moment when he threw the dude out the window and you started actually seeing like the seven deadly sins who have these like horror movie monster you know designs and stuff like that and so i was just like wow like they really kind of went balls to the wall when it comes to that um which which you know i that's 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 uh i i feel like that stuff is all kind of fine i guess i would say um but uh, but yeah so so and then the and then the other big thing is Billy Batson goes to talk to his mom and his mom is like ooh but what if I don't want to be your mom and I I, 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 I feel like that's I'm dark huge yeah but that's like, like that's like a very special episode of TV levels of dark which is like I think standard kids fair fodder right like this is you know has a lot of the same beats as that famous. Uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air scene where uh, Will Smith asks why his dad doesn't want him. Um, yeah, so maybe I would agree, except for the fact that when, like, so I agree in that sort of like comparison sense, but I don't think that that pops up in the Marvel movies all that much. Oh, sure. Which is like yeah. the other comparison, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so like, for instance, Hela is like running around in Thor Ragnarok, like murdering people, but that is almost always kind of like played for jokes. And not super, you know, like, not incredibly intimidating. She's kind of threatening and stuff like that. But it's not like, you know, a, it's not, it's not like, bloody and gory I mean, I or like anything like that. I feel like the event, uh, event of uh, Avengers, the, uh, what was the name of the, well, I can't remember the name of the last movie. The one that we're getting the sequel to. Infinity War? Well, yeah, Infinity War. I feel like Infinity yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, that might be, that might be up there. That kind of might be the only one, to be honest with you. Um... Like even even Black Panther's like even, got a little bit right, like like the thing that makes um, Killmonger a good villain, I think, is some of this is some of like the willingness to to go dark. Yeah, that's uh, true. Like, um, yeah, that's fair. But you know, like I think your your point is kind of like you know, as as a comparison to the Marvel movies, right? Like the, the DC movies are definitely darker, and yeah. whereas like. Those darker moments in the Marvel Universe we see as a deviation from the formula. I think the lightheartedness, the general lightheartedness of this movie is a deviation from the general DC Universe. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's there. This is one of those things that, that actually bugs me about how people talk about, like, the DC Universe. Because, like, you know, like, there's jokes and comic relief in, like, a Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? Um, but we kind of remember it because, like, the bulk of it is so sort of... Um, 
serious. We don't re- we don't remember it as being like funny and lighthearted or whatever. Um, and even in stuff like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, the jokes are pretty well confined. I've talked about this before where, like, you know, the jokes almost always happen in exposition scenes. But once, like, you know, in the final 35 minutes of Aquaman, there are basically no jokes at all, right? It is played dead straight because the movie, you know, the movie kind of works on those uh, those sort of like stakes levels. Um, and so I would say that this is the, the jokiest of them in the yeah. sense that there are jokes all over the place in this movie, a lot like Thor Ragnarok, which I think is the best kind of like joke per minute comparison. Um, but I, I but think, like uh, that's sort yeah, of this fail. duality, right? Because yeah. like Thor Ragnarok doesn't work for me because its stakes are constantly being undercut. And I just like, uh, you know, I just like can't get into it um, because uh, uh, because it's constantly making fun of you for getting invested in the narrative, and there's less of that. But it's it's still here in Shazam. But my thing is is that like Kung Fu Panda is also uh, an action comedy, right? And it has jokes all over the place. But that's a, that's a movie that still has you know like they they can still kind of grab me and has stakes, right? Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think a better comparison might be Ant-Man because, you know, I'm, this is the movie I'll go to bat for. But, like, Ant-Man, the stakes are a little bit low, like a little bit lower and a little bit less kind of celestial than Ragnarok. And so the fact that it's a bit jokier doesn't hurt it as much. Mm-hmm. I think that's also true for this movie. I think the biggest sin of this movie is a lot of the jokes. Um, not a lot, but, like, there are several, like, I, I think the, just to, to make it clear, the biggest standout one is is the joke where um, Mark Strong's villain, um can which you can tell me the name of what that villain is because I don't know. Doctor Savannah. That, that's like the straight up the name of the the, the yeah. Villain. His name okay. is Doctor Thaddeus Savannah. Um, it's just his name. Uh, so uh, like he's giving an evil supervillain speech, but mm-hmm. Shazam is too far away, and he's like, "What? I can't hear you." And and you know, obviously the bathos bothers me less than you. Um, and like the first like moment of that, I was like, "Heh," but like it goes on for like. 20 seconds i want to say and that's yeah. like 18 seconds too long like it's uh, yeah um and there, there, I, uh, yeah, go on, sorry. that really bu- that really bugs me yeah. um and it's funny because they actually do the same thing both ways in the movie so like so for instance that moment with dr savannah really bugs me but there's actually a lot of jokiness in the fight at the very very end when all of the shazam powers get distributed amongst the orphans um and specifically adam brody shows up as captain marvel jr or he's captain marvel jr in the comics i'm not i don't know what is he shazam jr now who knows um but the the freddy freddy yes so upgraded upgraded freddy and he's sort of and he's doing like the the spider-man motormouth thing right where he's like talking and he's making jokes but you can also like tell that he's like nervous right and anxious because he's never done this before and there's like so much at stake and stuff like that and that really works for me right like this is this is um inside of the same movie they have the like the jokey jokes where the the kind of the stakes are intact and the jokey jokes that dismantle the stakes um kind of right next to each other which is part of why i feel like i'm so divided on it because it's like well do i lean one way or the other do you know what i mean yeah, no, I, I feel that. Um, question relating to that, because, you know, I, I don't know. Is, is, are, is, like, the 
the Rainbow Coalition of Shazam is like a thing in the DCEU, or is that new for this uh, movie? It is a thing from... So, most of this movie is based off of the 2011 New 52 kind of, like, reboot continuity, which was overseen by Jeff Johns, who would end up kind of, like, running, like, DC films for a while. Um, the The more classic interpretation is different, um, one of the big things about the more classic interpretation is that Dr. Savannah is, this actually makes me simultaneously like sad, but I also really like get it. Dr. Savannah is probably the most quintessential, like mad scientist supervillain, like the supervillain with like an ugly short guy with like a hunch and buck teeth and the big Coke, Coke bottle glasses. Like you can, you can paint that picture in your head. That is Dr. Thaddeus Savannah. He, it is his, like, defining characteristic is just being, like, the quintessential supervillain mad scientist, right? Um, the thing that sucks about uh, this is that he is very much not that, and he becomes this guy with, like, the thing in his head or whatever. Um, the, the comics version is a little bit different. Like, Savannah can sense magic and then, like, absorb magic and stuff like that. And it's, so it doesn't have the same interaction with the Seven Deadly Sins. But, like, you know, generally speaking, like, it's it's all kind of the same. I feel like if they did the Bad Scientist Savannah, it would have just seemed insanely, like, rote. Even though, It's like the Seinfeld thing. But, like, even though the, you, the Thaddeus Savannah is the er-mad scientist and the progenitor of mad scientist supervillainy, um, I feel like that wouldn't necessarily, like, work in the same way. Um, but, yeah, like, having this set of kids and then Shazam spreading his powers to this set of kids uh is also something that happened in that line of the uh new 52 dc continuity so that does pull from the comics okay um i actually i saw that coming in a in a pretty straightforward way uh because i have read the comics did you were you like surprised by that like big third act you know reveal um so I I figured that the kids, the other the other orphans, were going to end up on those thrones somehow. I just I didn't see that particular thing coming. Um, also, the thing that I so I kind of saw from the trailer was like, why didn't they make you know like the the kind of obvious play is to make the disabled kid the like the Shazam right because that's like a more like a, a more egregious transformation, um, and so I kind of sort of thought they would do something with that at some point um so i didn't quite get it all but i got i got pe- like I, I i i put a couple of the pieces together before it actually happened mm-hmm. yeah so uh that th- the reason that that is the case is because billy batson is um billy batson is like the main guy the same way like clark kent is superman uh but freddie is his sidekick um something that captain marvel the like dc captain marvel does is give a portion of his powers to freddie so that freddie can be captain marvel jr um and instead of saying shazam he says captain marvel and that's what like triggers like the lightning and he's less powerful overall but still like you know kind of like most of the way there i guess i would say um and so that has is kind of like i I don't know how any of that stuff stands in the new continuity because they don't call him captain marvel anymore he's just called shazam that's that's his like superhero name right um so 
Is he Shazam Junior? Is it like it, it seemed Mary like it seemed like Shazam? the secondary no ones idea. all like were like more focused on one of the po- like one of the powers of peace, right? Like Darla yeah. seemed to be more speedy, and uh, Pedro seemed to be more strong, and Eugene seemed to be more electricity, and I guess Freddy was more fly guy and. Uh, Mary didn't really have much screen time during the fight, so I think they just kind of dodged that question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, Mary used to be called Mary Marvel, right? And okay. now, is she Mary Shazam? Who knows? Yeah. It'd be really funny if they named her, like, Shirley uh, instead. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, something that uh, I wanted... I, another kind of question, comic questions for you is... Uh, you know, they go through what the Shazam acronym is supposed to be, um, and... Yep, that's straight from the comics. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I knew that, but, like, Wisdom of Solomon um, is, as I understood it, supposed to be, a, like, kind of a justification why Shazam isn't a child in a, in, in a hero's body in the comics. Is, am I wrong about that? Um, and just, like, it, like, they obviously didn't do that at all for the movie. Like, Wisdom of Solomon seemed to be just, like, a thing that... That Shazam, the 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 wizard Shazam said, not a thing the that actually. The wisdom of Solomon um, manifests in different ways. Sometimes okay. it is its own sort of voice in Shazam's head, and sometimes like Shazam will just end up saying smart things because, and and then he'll just go like wisdom of Solomon or whatever to be like, oh, that, this this is why I'm smart, you know. Okay. Um, that that kind of thing, uh, but it is not consistent how that is like how that is represented, right? Like sometimes you will ha- you will see it like in the comics or whatever, Shazam will say like, oh, the wisdom of Solomon is telling me or whatever, and it's kind of like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The, the other thing that I that uh, pe- that you know exteriorly people like to point out is that Solomon is a biblical character, whereas. The rest of them are classical Greek heroes, so, you know... Yeah, I mean, some of them off. are Greek gods, right? Like, yeah. Zeus is obviously a Greek god, but the strength of Hercules... Hercules is a demigod. Achilles is just a guy, right? And he has the courage of Achilles, so... Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I it mean, is... Achilles is, like, slightly supernatural, right? He got dipped in the river except for his heel. That yeah, was yeah. His, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> it doesn't... It doesn't quite make... Um, it doesn't quite make a lot of sense. The 1940s were a different time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to see in the Shazam movie is, is, is Billy Batson threatening to cut babies in half. Um, uh, so what is... Um, uh, so something that we talked about previously is um, the things that we disliked about the movie were slightly different. Like we both thought certain elements were solid and certain elements were weaker. Um, I think you've talked a little bit about yours, which was the bathosy stuff, um, uh, and mine, which, which you know, we've, we've had this disagreement before, but we can have it on mic, is that I thought that the orphan storyline wasn't fleshed out enough. I thought that, um, I thought that they didn't really sell Billy becoming the part of the family at all. They just kind of, like, told us that, those things, and it moved at the speed that the plot needed to, rather at the speed of kind of, like, what would feel natural. Um, And upon some further reflection on this, I think part of this is just that, like, when it's done in another movie, it's kind of the whole entire point of the movie with no, like, superhero antics in the background, so they've got more time to do it. Um, I don't think that really excuses. I still think it's not 
the most well done. Um, but I do kind of, I guess, get why it happened because they also had to do a superhero movie while doing it. I just think that they should have done a few more things to um, kind of have Billy become part of the family before... Like, in, in, in a movie where this is the thing that happens is before the scene where he goes to find his mom, he'll, like, you know, have a scene where he's just about integrated with the family, but then, like, like he'll... Like, something reminds him of his mother, and he'll withdraw for a second, and I'll be kind of, like, you know, the the, the kind of third act kind of, like, uh, conflict that comes to a head when, you know, he confronts his, his, his parent... Right, and it felt like that was a little bit unearned. Uh, yeah, I disagree with this. Um, I do think it was earned, but like, I I guess I would say that it is more subtle than that. Um, in the sense that like this is stuff you kind of have to pick up from like context clues. You know what I mean? Like you have to hear. And, for instance, so I think a big piece of this is his conversation with Mary, where you kind of have to pick up from the acting and hear in his voice how he is trying to convince her of something, but really she's kind of convincing him in a way, right? Like, and he is coming to understand that maybe he doesn't think... He, like he doesn't think as strongly about this stuff as he used to because Mary is showing him a different way to kind of like approach things. And he's not, he's not converted off of this conversation. Right. But he's certainly a lot more sympathetic, you know, to the, the family, right. Because of it. Another example of this is like the whole thing with Darla and like, you know, she is constantly like following him around and she hugs him or whatever. And then he says something like, you don't need to hug me all the time. And she gets really offended and then he feels bad. And then later Darla figures out that he's Shazam and he calls her a good sister and she's really happy. And that makes him happy. Do you know what I mean? And so like those things are like kind of context clues and it's not incredibly like, I guess I would. I guess I wouldn't say like it's incredibly clear, but I do think that it's like clear enough. Yeah, and I feel I, like I, a I kid don't, would I be really... able to follow that easily, and so I feel like all that stuff was fine, good I, even. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't buy any of that. I think the conversation was with Mary was still establishing that he's like that he's a little bit screwed up, right? Because he doesn't convince himself of anything in that conversation he just kind of tells her that she should look out for himself and then runs away no i know i know but the, the point is is that like he his position weakens in that conversation he isn't converted in that does. conversation but i do think that he is kind of coming around to and has to kind of do that thing where it's like wait no wait no i don't care about these people you know what i mean i, I um, don't think that's true at all i think the entire scene is him being like it's stupid to care about people um i also think that the darla thing is like i think I can buy that maybe the good sister thing was supposed to be that, but it reads much more as like I am tricking this little girl into doing what I need her to do rather than being I mean, like it, a coming is, around moment for her. It before. is also that, but there's just something about like the the way that she feels good and the way that he uses the like you want to be a good sister, don't you? Right? Like he could have they could have gone tackled that a couple of different ways, but I feel like they did the right thing. By sure, and like I making think it about you know like about kind of reestablishing the connection that he kind of broke away from earlier, and, and I think that that's a step down the right path, but I don't think they, they they sell it enough. Like when he when he says to his fake mom or not his fake mom, his bio mom that like I need to go back to my real family. I didn't believe that, right? Like I don't think he like I don't think he he he. 
ever felt like that was his real family. I think a big part of this too is that, um, like, like you know, his parents are established as being you know quintessential good people, but like most of his interactions with them um, are like them yelling at him, for, like quite justifiably for him kind of fucking up. Um, but like he doesn't ever have that kind of like bonding moment with them like at all. Like I think even in the post, I guess in the po- in the denouement he gets the like prayer hand thing at the table. Um, I guess I guess yeah, I mean I he, that. he literally uses that prayer hand thing right, to... but that but that's but that's in the postscript right, like that's not at the point where it's kind of supposed to be. I mean, I, I think really the big one is just his relationship with Freddie, right? Which starts out as a relationship of convenience, but grows into yeah. a real friendship, and then is kind of like uh, sort of severed a little bit. So um, okay, so I buy it to a certain extent. I was thinking about this too, and I think part of the problem, at least for me, is that. Billy and Zach, or not Zach, Freddie. I don't know why I said Zach, but Billy and Freddie don't ever seem to have a friendship. Freddie and Shazam seem to have a friendship, and I think that you know maybe that's on me for not like reading it right. But I do feel like it's it needed a little bit more on kind of like the Billy Freddie thing, especially since one of the conflicts seems to be that Freddie is enamored with Shazam rather than, like, you know, actually being Billy's friend, right? Like, this is a cool th- like this is like a cool thing to Freddy and not, like, a thing that he values Billy as a friend for. So, do you, like, do you think that Billy as Shazam and Billy as Billy are just, like, different people? I don't think they're different people. I just think that in the language of, like, not in the language of the, how do I want to put this? I think from, like, a filmmaking perspective, by separating it out like that, it makes them feel a little disjointed, right? Especially, like I said, especially because one of the conflicts seems to be that Freddy is more in love with the idea that he's friends with a superhero rather than actually being, being Billy's friend. Like that's where I thought they were going with it actually, because, you know, it's like Billy seemed to have a point that like Freddy was, you know, not, you know, it wasn't, it was a cool thing for Freddy, not a cool thing for, you know, Billy, that it, 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 it's it, that seemed to be the, the conflict there. If if you follow me, and I thought okay. they were playing into that more. I guess I think I see where you're coming from. Um, I did not have that trouble, um, just because I, you know, I felt like Billy and Shazam were interchangeable. There, it, fun, the funny enough, there is actually some precedent in the comics that say that Billy and Shazam are literally different people. Um, for instance, in the Dark Knight Strikes Back, which is the sequel to the Dark Knight Returns, um, Billy talks about how he, when he says Shazam, it's not that he becomes like it's not that he becomes Captain Marvel. It's more like him and Captain Marvel like switch places or whatever. Uh, but the, I, I don't, that is not at all what I think that they were doing in this movie. I, I right. just kind of felt like Billy and Shazam were literally interchangeable, um, <clears throat> which is fine. Um, but like you know, so all of the all of like the goofy palling around, going and getting you know beers and then spitting them out because beer is gross, and then getting candy, you know, like that that stuff all establishes the same kind of uh, relationship between Billy and Freddy or Shazam and Freddy that I was like that I was really like looking for. And there's definitely that like so, and then there's definitely that piece where they kind of have the 
kind of typical friend falling out that happens in a lot of these kinds of movies. You know, like, this will happen in... Boy, does it happen in a lot of kids' movies. Um, it happened... And I'm a little in, bit... It was, like, forced... It, what's the best example? The, the forced one in the furry movie. Um, oh, uh, Zootopia. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Zootopia was, like, really roundabout in the way that it kind of, like... Hit that, but yeah, you know, like that thing where like something, somebody says something, and the friends become not friends for a little bit, but like you know, then they get over it and get back together to fight the big, the big bad. Um, and in this case, it, it sold me a lot more because they chose to go so hard on the thing with the mom in this movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's that that is a pillar like it's like a structurally a pillar to this arc that carries a lot of weight because i feel like if they had kind of whiffed it a little bit like he goes and meets his birth mom and his birth mom is kind of like accepting but he does but he realizes that even though like she's very nice and accepting that you know he doesn't have the connection with her that he thought would be innate and so he goes back to his foster family right or if they had done the thing where like he finds out that his mom is dead and you know he's never going to be able to to get that feeling and so but like but finding out that she's dead gives him closure and allows him to to like move on those are those are like the two kind of like obvious ways that i that i thought it was going to go the he goes and talks to his mom and finds out that his mom not only like never like not only doesn't want him now right but like never wanted him right and tells him to his face the story of how she didn't want him like oh whoa and like that carries a lot of uh, that carries a lot of this stuff. I feel like if they had gone in one of those other two directions, I would probably be a little bit more on your side when it comes to um, the the interaction with the family. And, you know, I, I will agree that that leg of it's very strong, but I think I think you know the the other leg that this storyline stands on is the strength of the familial connection. And even if I buy that the connection with Freddie is good, like his interactions with like Eugene. And Pedro and the parents are, like, so minimal that I don't really buy it. Um, yeah, I mean, part of that, I feel like, is just time. Like, Yeah, no, I do, you know, obviously. To, you know, yeah. um, they could have taken time I, away I, from, from stupid, I can't hear you jokes to build this. Yeah, like, and, and I appreciate that they did give everybody something, right? You know, Darla has the thing where she knows about Shazam. He has a conversation with Mary, who are the two big ones. Um, and then Eugene and Pedro are the two that use the notebook he left in the um, in the bathroom to figure out about his mom. So, like, there is the, an interaction there, um, and they're not entirely, like, you know, uh, kind of just getting lumped into... Um, they're, they're not, like, just getting kind of, like, grandfathered sure. in by his relationship with Freddie and Darla and Mary, which I thought was, was you know, good. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. I feel like that's just, it is tough to do things in a good amount of time. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, so, a question I had for you about the post credit scene. Uh, did you stay for both of them? Uh, yes. Okay, so the caterpillar. What is the caterpillar? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so the caterpillar is another Shazam villain. Um, his name is Mr. Mind. He, if, if you kind of saw, like, the top of his head, 
where like those two like white it, they're supposed to be white eyes um and in fact in the comics he actually kind of wears glasses and so that's the reason um that he that, like that's what he looks like um it is I I like Mr. Mind a lot because Mr. Mind has a pretty important relationship um with Shazam in um or I'm sorry with the DC universe the the DC universe through the 52 storyline which is really 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 good. Um I highly recommend the comic 52. It's actually on DC Universe right now to everyone. Um but yeah, so when they first enter the lair, they see the the pillar, the caterpillar and then when Dr. Savannah like fucks everything up the the caterpillar escapes um and that's uh and that's mr mind um mr mind i actually don't really know what his powers are to be honest with you i think he he can just like do um I have no idea. Does he do like does he do like mad scientist kind of things? Uh one of the things that he does though is the Monster Society of Evil, which is um the what it was one of the first supervillain teams in con in, like in comics. Um but he is yeah, I don't know. He's just like another big supervillain from uh from the Shazam comics. The other one being Black Adam, which I was actually expecting to see a Black Adam tease because we know we already have like lined up um that Black Adam will be uh the will be uh the rock and the rock is like so crazy and huge, but yeah, who knows? Black Adam's like uh, an evil Shazam, right? Like he's like a mirror. Hero. Yeah. So if you saw in the thing where he did, where Shazam the Wizard talks about, they nominated a champion, and that champion was good for a while, but then he became a bad guy. That champion that they're talking about is Black Adam, okay? Um, who was the who was like the Shazam champion in Egyptian times, and all of his powers come from Egyptian gods, right? Like he has like the strength of Atun and stuff like that. Um, Rather than the strength of you know Hercules. Um, wait, wait. So is 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 the lore that they the wizards got a bunch of powers of Egyptian gods and gave them to this guy and they he fucked they fucked up. So they went and got a powers from a bunch of other gods to give to Shazam. I really don't know why the other powers come from Shazam. Like, is there potentially a Norse Shazam out there? Uh yeah, I mean maybe if uh, if you can fit into the Shazam acronym because that's because it does like the Black Adam powers fit into the Shazam acronym. It's like the stamina of Shu, the swiftness of Heru, the strength of Amon, the wisdom of Zahuti, right? And so and it literally spells out Shazam, but in Egyptian gods instead of like regular other jobs gods. Um, but yeah, yeah. The thing with Black Adam is that like his family dies, and he starts murdering people, and so they lock him away. But then uh, he gets unlocked um, by the uh, the new Shazam, like the new Captain Marvel. Unlocks Black Adam, and like Black Adam kind of becomes um, like a supervillain, but also like an antihero. This is this is actually one of the things that is cool about Black Adam because. One of the things that he does is he flies to a fictional nation in Northeast Africa, kind of by Egypt, called Kondok. 
and he reveals that he is from like you know that he is actually secretly teth adam who is like a a a lead, you know, like a, a divine leader from the past, and he, he does the Doctor Doom thing where he like takes over the country and he rules that country. Um, so, but yeah, he he is very much a uh, like kind of like a, an anti-hero, sort of in like the Punisher vein. There's a lot of attempts to make Black Adam a good guy um, because you know, like he joins the Justice Society of America for a while, um, stuff like that. It's crazy. I like I like Black Adam a lot more than Mr. Mind. Uh, Black Adam is actually getting his own movie at some point, so I feel like maybe that's why they didn't uh, they didn't do stuff. Um, I'm reading up on Mr. Mind's abilities. He has advanced mind control, hypnosis, limited image projection, and this ability to string to spin super strong silk at high spe- at high speeds. Ah, so is he like a silkworm? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Does he have, like, an origin story? Like, how did he get this way? Why is uh, he he's like from, this? I think he's from Venus. He's, I think he's... Ah. He is a... It's like a Venusian hyperfly. Or he's just called the Venusian worm. But uh, he, so... but he, this is... I, I don't want to spoil what happens in, like, the 52 comics. Um, but, uh... So, so in the DC Universe, men are from Mars... Venusian, Venusian hyperworms are from Venus. <laughs> yeah, yep, uh, I guess so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could you could say a thing about that if you wanted to. Uh, wait, I guess man hunters are from Mars. Is right? Is that that right? Is that the right? Yeah, joke? man hunters are from Mar- Mars. Venusian worms are from Venus. I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Um, Sorry to distract with with the shit posting, but uh, yeah. So, um, what else happens in this movie? It feels like I, don't know, I feel like there's not a ton to talk about. Did, did you want to talk about any of the specifics with the filmmaking stuff that you observed? Was that, that um, was... yeah? I mean, the, my big one was that was like that action filmmaking. Um, I've been thinking a lot about sort of uh, the legacy of some of these movies like BVS and Man of Steel. And it is nice that even though, like, people have pretty thoroughly, like, rejected that vision of the DC Universe in, like, a popular conception. Um, but, like, it still kind of, like, lives on. Um, I mean, it's funny because filmmakers routinely have very good things to say about those movies. Um, and so I'm glad that, you know, even the new people who are picking up the sort of DCEU torch are are kind of continuing with that same uh, visual sort of like ethos, I guess I would I would maybe call it. Can, um, can you point to some of, some of the specific things that, that, that you identify as being part of this ethos? Yeah, so the big one is the is the way the camera. I, I call it like so. It's like action filmmaking that is built around like impact, if that makes sense. Where the camera will follow sort of like the momentum of the action rather than. Uh, so, for instance, what Marvel typically does is it puts the camera on the superhero and doesn't move it. Right, so you get you you get to see very clearly what like the superhero is doing. Right, but like you also don't see the sort of like scale of um 
like power, I guess I would call it. Uh, I, w- I do want to be clear that the Russo brothers don't do this and follow more along this line. I wouldn't say that they get it from like Man of Steel or whatever, in the, it, but it is it is similar. Um, so, for instance, right, like in super in in Man of Steel, what you'll see is you know Superman flies down and he smashes into Zod and you know, uh, Zod flies at the other end. You don't stay on Superman and Zod flies off screen. You stay on Zod and watch him fly until he stops. Do you know what I mean? Or like another instance of this, right, is the is Nam Ek, like the big strong Kryptonian in the Smallville fight. Will pick He picks up the locomotive, he flies it into the air, and then he throws it at Superman. And you follow the locomotive hits Superman. It sends him flying into like the Sears or whatever, right? And you follow that whole thing. And so like the camera follows the action, the the momentum and like the impact of the scene rather than sticking on the hero. And I think both of these are good in in their own sort of ways, right? Like I feel like it is cool to put like the camera on Iron Man as Iron Man is shooting all of these people like off screen cuz you get to show the kind of breadth of his powers if that makes sense. Um but you know, you do, it doesn't it it kind of has this feeling of like nerf bat fighting where like all of the all of the bad guys are just like thrown away with no you know like with no trouble um and you don't get a sense for you don't get that like same sense so like for instance in aquaman right aquaman has this moment where um in the fight between orm and arthur in the ring of fire orm crashes into Aquaman and it shows them until they smash into the rocks and then a bunch of rocks fall, right? That shows the level of power and strength on display in a way that, like, the superhero fights in the Avengers don't have, uh, like, a similar kind of effect. You see that strength in the way that, like, the Hulk, you know, punches that big monster thing, but you don't see it in, like, the actual cinematography of moving the camera to in in a, in a big wide angle to like see the devastation do you know what i mean okay yeah i i, I, I buy that i buy that yeah um, makes sense there were there were actually like less superhero fights in this movie than i expected uh just because like i guess it it had it had to do a lot of comedy stuff early on so really there's only kind of like the big blowout in the end which is a little bit different than uh, than a lot of the other superhero movies we get. Like Aquaman had like a fight every like twenty minutes. You know what I mean? So yeah, I thought that was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the double fake. Speaking of just kind of like weird action scenes, I thought the double fake out around Savannah's dad was weird. Like oh, where he was like still alive. Well, like, whereas, like, the first one is nothing bad happens, and then they actually get hit. Like, oh, feels, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess it was to like establish that, like, Savannah, like, you know, doesn't have a good relationship with his father and his brother. I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very torn on Savannah. I actually feel like Savannah is what I like that Savannah has you know, depth, a little bit of depth, you know, he's, he's still in the shallow end of the pool, but he's, he's got something going, right, um, and he's not completely one-dimensional, which is nice, like, I like the idea that, 
he's motivate he's like so motivated by this feeling of kind of like insecurity and like unworthiness or whatever um as a contrast to what Shazam ends up doing and being like probably from like a hero perspective something that I really appreciate about Billy Batson and Shazam and like the structure of this story is that like Billy has to choose to be a hero he's not just default the you know what I mean like this isn't like Aquaman or something kind of along those lines where he's effectively a chosen one and he has to like kind of grow into the responsibility of like being a hero or whatever it's clear that Shazam the wizard would not have chosen Billy if he wasn't if if Savannah hadn't just come and released the seven deadly sins right and that actually what the wizard was doing was being too stringent and assuming that like there was a perfect person out there when there really kind of isn't and it's kind of up to imperfect people to commit themselves to being better in order to like activate heroism and that that was like really kind of deep and interesting for a superhero movie that typically would go that other direction where you just go yeah of course he's like the best dude billy batson is like a really good guy you know just in the same way that every you know superhero is a really good guy and that's what makes him deserving of his powers because he's such a he's such a good person it's like no billy isn't deserving of these powers he is thrust these powers are thrust upon him in a moment of crisis um and he rises to the occasion yeah no no i i I absolutely get that i i have heard the the kind of prevalence of chosen one heroes in the modern ages being like a a sign of the times in some way um uh, that i'm not fully read up enough on to fully comment on but it definitely makes sense to me um especially especially that uh he uh uh that that he's that it's like it that message seemed just a little bit muddled right like i thought that maybe what they were going for was also that like when like you know when given the choice he he actively rejects it and like i thought that was supposed to be like ah the only person that deserves strength is that is he who would turn it down right in the kind of like uh i guess i'm gonna i'd call it like a hitchhiker's mode of like the only person that can be the president of the universe is the person who truly doesn't want to be um, oh oh yeah no I, I see what you mean yeah. i mean that's a little bit like the aquaman thing like aquaman doesn't want to be king but like that's sort of what makes him deserving in a like you know like in a king arthur kind of way yeah yeah um uh, but no it's, it's not just that like he doesn't want to be right like and i think i think arthur the aquaman has this a bit too but like is that he recognizes that he's not worthy to be king. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he literally says that to the... He literally says that to the Karathan, right? Like, in one of those... In, in that big moment where he's like, I didn't come here because I was worthy. I came here because I had to. Um, and, and I think that there is also, like, a bunch of that sort of, like, in, you know, in in Shazam to... Yeah. In, in a... Um, it's like it's like two sides of the same coin, I guess, right? Like Arthur is worthy because he is unworthy, right? Because he he you know he doesn't want it. That's that that is the thing that makes him the most worthy king of Atlantis or whatever. Um, whereas Shazam is unworthy, but makes the choice to be you know like to live up to and be worthy. Um, 
and it is like this kind of holding out for something perfect that is the real mistake. Cause, right, like at the end of the day, it's actually the wizard's fault um, that like Savannah breaks out like the seven deadly sins and everything because like the wizard like legitimately creates that insecurity inside of him, right? And maybe if he had just been willing to, you know, like lower his standards a bit or something like i don't know that's like that's kind of extrapolating out a bit from what like the movie itself has to say but uh i i really like the idea that like you know billy is not a perfect kid he's not like some destined hero who has like an innate selflessness right like superman in man of steel has an innate selflessness which is why his arc in that movie is completely different than what we see in some of these other films, right? Where the arc is from kind of hero-lessness to heroism. Superman is always a hero in Man of Steel. It's just about whether or not he wants to reveal himself to the rest of the world. Um, In Aquaman and in Shazam, these people are not very heroic and opt into heroism which is kind of what i would say like the, de- the this is the default of almost all of our superhero narratives um even some of them that like backtrack into this like iron man 2 is kind of just an explicit retelling of tony stark being selfish again and then being a hero again even though that was his arc from the first movie yeah no i mm-hmm. I, I, I like the the rule of thumb generally is kind of like that the Marvel hero, heroes tend more towards the 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 choice side and the the DC universe heroes tend to be a little bit more chosen one e um, with some significant exceptions on both sides or at least that's, that's the, how the terms I've heard it discussed in mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean I feel like there's an interesting conversation to be they had there about bat or not Batman about Superman in um in, in Man of Steel, um, I think, I think, like, hmm, I, I think, like, maybe kind of, like, making him have to, like, choose is the thing that I think rubbed a lot of people, like, myself included, the wrong way about Man of Steel. Like, Man of Steel is, or uh, Superman is kind of iconically the, the Boy Scout, like, the guy who always does the right thing. And, like, the movie goes through great pains to make him into a shit coward um, for his kind of own self-protection. Right. Um, I also think that there's some stuff there that's just kind of like we've talked about this before, but like having Pa Kent die going back to save the dog and Superman doing nothing, I think is just a bad way to handle that moment in order to make it ring correctly, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Um, I think the tough thing about Man of Steel is the movie asks you not to. You know, mo- the the default position of every superhero movie is that, like, random citizens are innocent and good and, like, worthy of protection. And Man of Steel makes the case that random citizens are actually, you know, close-minded and kind of fearful, right? And that it is a legitimate concern for Superman whether or not he should kind of, like trust humankind and i think that's part of why the movie doesn't connect with folks because like that's a pretty radical departure and it's and it's a tough thing to ask someone to opt into right to like to opt into a worldview where it's like well the question isn't you know do people you know like the question isn't do people deserve saving they we all know they deserve saving it is clear from every 
like frame in that film that they deserve saving. The question is, can Superman trust them with his presence, or will they be, or or will that be a bad thing or a mistake? And we all know that the answer to that, right? Like in the same way that we all kind of know that, like you know, Shazam is going to be a good guy in the end. Um, we all know that the answer to that is that yes, Superman can trust the populace, um, but like you have to kind of believe that there is a question of whether or not you can trust the populace in order to uh like in order to be sold on that character arc which is like the tough thing to get over i think the um, tough thing to get over in the context of a superman story right like i think like it's easier to do and say watchmen where like you know that's kind of that's kind of uh rorschach's whole stick stick right like you know like the they'll they'll look up and say save us and I'll whisper no right like that's like that is his whole shtick that people aren't worth saving, mm-hmm. um, and you know but you know other things like I don't want to go into a whole analysis of Watchmen now but I think that it like stuff like that works for like Warshack works for maybe the Punisher you know vill or uh, heroes in that kind of vein maybe even like you could even say uh, Wolverine fits in there these kind of like antihero. But it's tough to it's tough to imagine a populace that would not accept Superman. Yeah, not, not not only that, but like you know, Superman as like you know, these characters are bigger than like you know, Superman is bigger than Man of Steel, and he is big enough that everybody kind of has a conception of him, right? Like it's not like it isn't like you know, you know, Duperman who is this new totally original yeah. hero, um, or even which, like Aquaman who is somebody that like you know you kind of have to dig deep to get a good sense of who he is because yeah. he doesn't have that much like representation. Superman is the most famous superhero of all time. Obviously people are going to walk into that with certain expectations. You, you know, here, here, here's, here's a, a funny hot take. I bet you man of steel would have been better received if burn bright came out first. So, uh, so funnily enough, so I actually do think man of steel would be better received if it were to come out like now, like right, right. this minute. Um, for a couple of different reasons. But one of the interesting things about Man of Steel that has kind of been lost to time is how much it was affected by Superman Returns. Do you remember Superman Returns? The Super- nope. The Bryan Singer movie from 2006? Yeah. Nobody remembers this movie, right? But it was like the big superhero... It was like one of the big superhero movies of 2006. And it was in the same continuity as like the Richard Donner right like 19 uh 1980 superman where he you know at the end of superman 2 superman flies off into space to go learn more about krypton and then superman returns is in that continuity where he comes back from flying in space and he has a five-year-old kid now with like lois or whatever but like that movie which was directed by brian singer and starred kevin spacey yikes um that movie was like a complete whiff. Like, nobody cared about it. It was immediately forgotten and out of the zeitgeist. And so, like, uh, I feel like there is this weird kind of, like, amnesia that that happens where people say, like, oh, I want Superman to be, you know, like the Richard Donner Superman. And it's so weird to see this, like, conflicted Superman who's kind of doing all this opposite stuff of what we typically see out of, like, a Superman movie. Um, But that happened. And it happened, like... 10 years earlier and we all just like kind of collectively forgot about it 
Um, I actually think that movie would do a lot better in this a day and age too, because we we are better primed to be doing long running sequels like that. Like in a way, Superman Returns is kind of like the er Blade Runner twenty forty nine or like Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Mm. Um, Man, I would go nuts if if the new Blade movie is in like the same continuity. Oh, it's like the Guillermo del Toro Blade. And, yeah, it's, it's uh, I didn't even know who directed soon, right? the first one. I know Guillermo did the second one, but. Um, but there's a new one I think that's supposed to be coming out Um, yeah yeah I think it's tied to the Mobius movie because Sony still has the Spider-Man rights and they're trying to figure out what to do with them (laughs) okay wait wait, what is Mobius Mobius is a vampire it's like a vampire supervillain of um of Spider-Man? Uh, of Spider-Man, yeah. And so, I don't know how much of this is true. This is very unsupported rumor. But the unsupported rumor is that Mobius is, um, or I think his name might be Morbius. I can't remember. Um, Morbius is a, uh, is like a stealth Blade movie, but like they kind of don't have great claim to the rights for Blade. So, it's like not super clear what's like what's going on and what's happening with it yeah it stars jared leto so jared leto oh gets to play another supervillain who's excited oh boy <laughs> yeah uh spe- so i guess this is this is a, a good enough time to trans transfer yeah but i guess spe- that, that that's how we feel about fucking that's how we feel about shazam <laughs> right but but like this this is this will be a good looting question spe- speaking of jared leto Characters, how about that Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie trailer? Do you how, are you on board? Are you off board with this? I am. I am on board insofar as it looks interesting. I don't know how I feel about it as a Joker movie. Um, I tend to like my Joker a little bit more nutso and a little bit less sympathetic, but. That's not to say that I don't think this could be good. What's what's your thoughts? Uh, I want to be open-minded, which is my big thing. Um, I think that this is a super cool thing kind of in the abstract, right? Like the idea that a prestige filmmaker and a prestige actor are taking a comic book property and kind of outside of the confines of you know, continuity or, like, typical, you know, comic book movie tropes and stuff like that, making a a movie based on a comic book character. I think that's, like, that's, like, really cool and interesting, and I want to be here for that. Um, I am a little bit skeptical of how successful that project will end up being, especially because, like, I don't have a good sense of Todd Phillips' as a director, if he can like, if he has like the chops, uh, essentially to, to handle something, uh, kind of like this, but the trailer was okay. Pretty, you know, it was like, it was like good, not like very good or great, but it was like, okay. It kept my attention and I didn't, there weren't any like big red flags where I was like, Oh, this is, you know, this is like going to be awful or whatever. I think the big thing is that people need to kind of separate themselves a little bit from continuity. Like this is something that is, uh, I love continuity and I think it's like, you know, like I think it's great and awesome that the Marvel movies are all in the same continuity. And I think it's great and awesome that Shazam is in the same continuity as justice league and stuff like that. But, uh, the, 
the you like it, it's one of those things where you kind of have to like really sort of take all of the conceptions that you have about Joker out of your head and kind of go like okay I I want to see where you're going with this um, yeah, like yeah. if you if you told me like this like was secretly a continuity movie I would have to guess that it's like a prequel to The Dark Knight like not like a prequel to any of like the the current DCEU stuff like I could, I could like it feels like maybe Joaquin Phoenix is trying to in some way channel Heath Ledger's performance of the Joker, maybe. Does that ring true to you at all? Uh, a little bit. I am, I am intrigued. Uh, I suppose by whether or not Joaquin Phoenix can do it, like even even the Joker in the Dark Knight is not a super great representation of like the comics Joker. Sure, right? like you know. So in a certain sense, that that's a little bit of like what's giving me good ill will uh, or like goodwill towards this because like. You know, I remember when P- when Heath Ledger was originally cast as the Joker, everybody was like, "What you know, like what the fuck, right? Like the Joe, this is you know, like this is a teen heartthrob, and you're making him like the biggest, baddest super, you know, like super villain in the Batman mythos. That's bullshit. <laughs> Joker is not a gay cowboy. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I remember all that stuff, and we were all proven wrong, like all of the comic yeah. nerds that said shit like that. So. You know, that's actually interesting because, like, he's, like, there's, like, been a couple of times where, like, like I'm, I am not a huge comic books person, but I have heard that the image of Iron Man shifted to fit Robert Downey Jr. Um, in the comics rather than, like, the other, like, that, that he was a significant departure from. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who Tony Stark was, and they, like, you know, because of the popularity of the films, they made the comic books hero mirror him more. Um, and I will say that, um... Like the Guardians of the Galaxy mostly don't fit to their uh, to their archetypes in the comics. They have read a f- fair amount of, uh, I think, it was the Infinity War run actually, um, and those characters don't match up, and that's a little bit sad to me. Although I do I do like the the uh, the movie versions of them, um, but uh, it's it's just kind of interesting to see where it's like, you know. The heroes are, or the the characters are close enough that, or like people don't know them well enough to need it to, to need mm-hmm. it to match. Yeah, like th- this is interesting, kind of in, in, in the in the frame of the the Man of Steel discussion we kind of just had, right? Like Superman, and I think Batman and Spider Man, and maybe pull out a maybe like Wolverine have like enough of a popular conception that their movies really need to. to 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 hew to their their no like you know their their popular uh yeah I mean more. this is a big thing when it comes to like the Man of Steel kind of Batman versus Superman debates that you hear all the time yeah. where people you know like I the, the bat like Batman and Superman in those two movies are different characters than you know like the the Richard Donner Superman or even like the Jeff you know like they're it's I, I get really pissed off when people start arguing about, like, the comics because it's one of those things where, like, listen, there are a thousand issues of action comics. It is not hard to find Superman stories to support either, you know, like, either interpretation. And so, like, 
it is hard to have a conversation with someone who will say something like, that's not really Superman, right? Like, Zack Snyder's Superman isn't really Superman. Or Zack Snyder's Batman, I hate it when people say this, like, Zack Snyder's Batman is just, like, the Punisher. Because, like, there is a, it's, it is a specific take that does things differently than, like, a normal take would. But most takes do, right? Like, the Batman that is in the Batman comics that is in... The Dark Knight Returns that is in Kingdom Come that is in any of these other different sort of like pieces it's like it's a it's a different shade of Batman that is still Batman and so like any of these kind of arguments about like authenticity I have a very tough time with because from my perspective all of these things are authentic because it's like viewing through a prism do you know what I mean um and I feel like that same sort of thing is kind of happening here with the Joker, because I have seen people who kind of say, like, ugh, this is not, you know, this isn't the Joker, um, and it's like a Mark Hamill thing about it, because, like, everybody loves Mark Hamill as the Joker, and I do too, right? But there can be, like, more than one authentic interpretation of, like, the Joker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the kind of argument to contend with is there can be more than one authentic interpretation of any hero, but not all interpretations of that hero are authentic, if that makes sense. Right? Like, you know, to avoid arguing specific examples that sit in front of us, right? Like, if Superman were like, I don't know, uh, like, edgy and, you know, a piece of shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that, like, beat up people that wouldn't be an authentic interpretation of superman if that makes sense yeah 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 so if superman you know yeah i i i get that that's that's one of the things that uh that's one of the things that like it's one of the you you have to have i like iconography or like kind of touchstones in there to signal to, to like signal to people that this is an authentic character Right, yeah, like so, so su- Superman the myth, right, like, yeah, yeah, has yeah. edges to it, and how he instantiates into any of his forms can differ, right? Like yeah, the same yeah, way that's that, a great like, way to put it. That, like, it's- King Arthur as the myth is both classic Arthurian and also Aquaman, right? Like, and you can recognize that, that, that myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that you can change, you know, you can change certain pieces of the... Uh, you can change certain pieces of the mythos, but other pieces of the mythos have to, like, stay the same, right? Like, Clark Kent isn't a, you know, isn't a bus driver, and he doesn't, he's not based out of Kansas City. He's based out of Metropolis, and he's and he's a reporter, right? And he's a nice guy that tries to do the right thing, and he, you know, like, and like but, but he will, you know, snap Zod's neck when there's no other opportunity, which might not be, you know, the way that a Richard Donner Superman would handle that situation, right? So there, it's kind of like you. Some of them, you like. There's a big grab bag of kind of qualities. Some of them are there, but not all of them will be there in every single interpretation. Um, and I think that that's true of uh, the big guys because there's a lot of different interpretations, right? Like that grab bag has a lot of different qualities right batman shooting a guy with a machine gun is literally taken out of a comic book like that is a like uh, a page for page recreation of a of a comic book scene and that's one of a bazillion different you know 
attributes in the grab bag. But when you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy, that bag is actually very small because not a lot of yeah. there's there just hasn't been a lot written about them. Not a lot of people know them and have a big popular conception of them. So I feel like James Gunn had a lot more freedom when it came to those characters to kind of do what he wanted um, and and make them look like what they, and make them authentically their movie version that then kind of reflects back into the comics um, where versus like the other way around. Yeah, I, I buy that. I, I do want to say though, that when you mentioned that Superman has to be a reporter, I just thought like for a second, I thought like, does that have to be true? I was like, what could he be if he wasn't a reporter? And I immediately jumped to like news YouTuber. And I just immediately started thinking of like Philip DeFranco as Superman, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Yeah. And, and he has been other things, the other, you know, there's the Red Sun Superman where he becomes a world leader. Like, he takes over the Soviet Union from Stalin, I think. I think Stalin dies and he becomes the Soviet premier. Um, in Kingdom Come, he's a farmer. Um, so, you know, like, there are there are definitely other interpretations of that stuff. But you got to have, like, enough there to, like, kind of form that, you know, that center. Yeah. That, that sort and, of and not like only that, but I think, like, the, the stories that you mention, I think, specifically are about, like, are kind of, like, if not explicitly in the kind of vein of what if, right? Like Red Sun yeah. is specifically playing against, you know, Clark, uh, Clark Kent lands in America or, you know, mm-hmm. Cal lands in America and beca- to like the two nicest people in the Midwest, um, which like, I feel like if like you tried to make, if you call, if you tried to make Man of Steel and did it as Red Sun without calling out that it was Red Sun, you'd have problems. I think that is the ba- like literally the basis of a lot of these things, right? Like all of the Batman doesn't kill stuff comes from a sort of like a place of you know, like the big defense for Batman killing and Batman v Superman is that he is an authentic recreation of the Dark Knight Returns Batman, right from 1986, which is an Elseworlds story, right. And it's it's a very it's a super influential comic. It's a really great comic and everything like that. But it isn't like the the main universe Batman. It's something you'll hear a lot when pe- for people who don't like that movie is it's like you know I'm okay with an alternate interpretation of Batman, right? But you have to you know you have to establish the the kind of normal baseline Batman first. I don't agree with that argument, but I understand where that come from, and I think that's that's exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about, right? Where it's like, yeah, like maybe your version, you like maybe this is an authentic version of this Elseworlds Batman or whatever. But I really kind of wish that we got a main, you know, like we got like a main universe Batman first. Do you know what so, I mean? So, so I think I think just kind of on the Batman versus Superman thing specifically. I think kind of in the same way that you don't that, that Homecoming didn't need to be a Spider-Man origin story. Um, I think that you can lean on the the known parts of Batman, but you kind of have to like. I feel like you have to like lampshade that he's like killing people a little bit harder, right? Like, do you follow what I'm saying? Like, if if like you know, uh, like if when Batman shoots the dude with the flamethrower on his back, was like, wait, you don't kill people. And Batman was like, now I do. And he killed him, right? Like, not that that's, like, the right way to handle that scene. But if he had done that, I think people would have... Just, like, as a stronger flag, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Uh, Um, You know, okay. I, mm, you know, okay, I get that. I don't know how much I agree, but I get that. Yeah, I, I think you had justification for it, too. Right, yeah. like I think, like you know, the zoom in on the on the Robin uniform. 
I think, like, if you had, like, I guess, like, Gordon being, like, and he's killing people now, too, right? Like, you, you, mm-hmm. you could have, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they do have that, because they have the thing with the homeless guy where Superman is, is talking to the homeless guy, and he's, like, he's back, and he's got a whole new set of mean in him or whatever. And then there's the thing with Alfred where he's, like, you know, the rage or whatever that turns bad men cruel. But, like, at, you know, is that too poetic? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, is yeah. It, it, yeah does I it just need point, to be yeah. straight, like, straighter? Like, oh, are you killing people now, Master Bruce? And Master Bruce is like, yeah, you dick. Like, <laughs> 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 like maybe it would have been a bit... <laughs> That would have worked a little bit better. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. What, what what else have you been up to this week? Tell me about oh, your yeah, life. Yeah, so um, I played and beat Minute. Um, I didn't like 100% it or anything, um, which is... Uh, so I, I bought the monthly Humble Bundle thing, um, and it was one of the games that came with that subscription service. And Minute, for those that don't know, is a game, a... Uh, uh, like a uh, like a kind of like top down like Zelda ish RPG, but the, the conceit is that you have a cursed sword, and uh, every you only have one minute to accomplish things, and after a minute you die, and like everything resets, um, except some things stay the same, right? Like doors will stay unlocked, and like um, and stuff like that, um, and like items you pick up will remain with you. So. Uh, you kind of have you're fighting against the clock and you need to work your way through the story it's short i thought it was all right it was definitely a neat concept and for like how i got it i thought it was worth it it was a worthwhile experience i think it retails for 10 bucks and i would not spend 10 dollars on it like i don't think it's worth that amount of money but it was a cute game um and it was neat so there's that um i started playing dandara which is another game that i got through the humble service which is kind of like this Metroidvania-ish kind of game where you play a, a a woman who like jumps between platforms and like shoots stuff. And I'm not too deep into it, but it's fun. It's definitely unique. Um, I finished Axiom Verge, uh, which is really cool. I highly recommend that game to everyone, especially if you like um, Metroidvanias. It's a very well done Metroidvania. Um, the bosses were a bit weak. I found them all super easy. Um, but, uh, the game itself was appropriately challenging and it was a lot of fun to play through. So, um, I would recommend that to everyone. Um, otherwise I've been playing some destiny like I always do, but I don't really have much to update there. I don't think I've, I, I'd be possible for a little bit more time with the division too. That game I'm not I'm not going super hard on, so I can't really talk about like how great it is or whatever. But you mm-hmm. know, oh, that's the way it is. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, just kind of waiting on Imperator to come out. I guess. What about oh, you? Oh man, I'm super week? hyped for Imperator to come out. There's a bunch of stuff coming out this month um, because it's Imperator. We just got the announcement for the Prophet and the Warlock, which is the Lord pack for Lizardmen and Skaven in War, uh, Total War Warhammer 2, which I'm obviously like hyped through the roof about. Um, I finally got back into Total War Warhammer. Do you remember when the Vampire Coast came out and yeah, I yeah. had that dumb bug that kept crashing my game and I got so frustrated? I mean, it wasn't even a bug. It was just my fault. Um, and I got so frustrated that I like couldn't get back into it. Like I finally got over that after like two months or whatever. So I've been playing 
Um, so I've been playing Total War. I've also been playing a bunch of Factorio, um, just because it's like a good mindless thing to be doing while I'm rewatching all of Game of Thrones uh, for the new Shoot, Game of I need Thrones to get on seasons. that at some point. Yeah, what do you, we we need to do. I I feel like we really should do. Uh, we some, probably there's a do lot to talk about when it comes to Game of Thrones um, and all of its like various seasons. Um, it sucks because, like, to, to a certain extent, you've been, like, spoiled on a bunch of stuff, right? Just, like, by the cultural cause, like, osmosis. I've been spoiled on some of it, but, like, none of the things that were, like, so shocking to me, right? Like, my, my theory about who Jon Snow was was ultimately wrong, but, you know, it's not like anything. It's not like it was spoiled on anything that was, like... I don't think I, I don't have anything to gain from watching the show, right? Like there are dragons. I was like, well, no shit. They foreshadowed the shit out of that in the first in the first book, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, uh, I also like. What what is your what is your experience with Game of Thrones? Just to like, I have read the first book, okay, and I know some things through cultural osmosis. Like, I don't know all the details of the Red Wedding. Um, I know that a bunch of people end up dead. Um, I know that, like, there's that there's that scene where, like, the mountain fights the quick guy, and the quick guy looks like he's winning, and then the, the, the mountain kills the quick guy. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a scene where I think it's, like, Cersei walks through the streets while people yell shame at her or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some of these got memed. So yeah. the memes are spoilers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I know the Hodor thing. Um, but, you know, Whatever. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so fun fact. This is a thing that I learned totally by coincidence. This is back to our Imperator talk. Um, is that Imperator comes out on the tw- the thirty third anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster? I really? don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what What does that mean? Uh, I, I think it's just a coincidence. <laughs> but I, I was listening to I was listening to a podcast about the Chernobyl disaster, and uh, I was like. Yeah, it's, you know, like this this guy, this is actually super fascinating. Um, it's a foreign policy podcast. It's foreign policy is the name of the, pod, uh, the publication. They do this thing called First Person. It was an interview with this guy who has written this book, which I want to get around to reading, about the Chernobyl disaster. Um, and he mentioned that they were on site for like the 30th anniversary of the disaster of April 25th. And I was like, I know that date. That sticks out in my head because of, of a thing that's happening this month. Um, and so it just kind of occurred to me. But uh, uh, Chernobyl disaster is super interesting. Um, apparently, the uh, like it happened. Like there were like a whole bunch of bureaucratic things that caused it to happen. And then like for like a day, no one believed that it that it happened. Like it was like this is impossible. This couldn't have happened. It's no, this, this, somebody's got like this is a bad rumor. Nothing. This has mm-hmm. not happened. Um, and that's part of what like. Um, uh, just like some of the things that had like this, like this like, crazy straight up communist Russia or USSR stories, right? Like, uh, what 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 was one of the things that happened? They told them only to pack like a couple days worth of things, um, uh, and part of that is like no, you know, no one really believed it was a it was a big problem. But another part of this is like if they had told them that they were never coming back, they would have tried to bring all of their stuff onto the train, and not everybody would have fit. Like mm-hmm. they have. Eva- <coughs> They evacuated everybody, like, super efficiently. And, like, you know, they evacuated them to places downstream, so there were still, like, effects. But, like, in terms of, like, like getting them out of there, it worked fairly well. This is fascinating stuff. Um, so, you know. 
if you, I learned about Chernobyl this week. What about you, buddy? What have you that's, done this week? Yeah, I mean, fuck, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, mostly I was just uh, uh, like watching Game of Thrones, playing Factorio. I was doing a little bit of, in WoW. Um, I'm very hype for 7.2 to start like hitting like the PBR. I've actually kind of realized, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've realized that something that's very clever about World of Warcraft in the Battle for Azeroth era is that making the allied races a huge giant grind is a it's like a it's kind of a way that the game has to keep you invested between patch content. You know, so, like, the new patch will come out, and you'll play through, like, the content or whatever. Um, but, like, all of these all of these races um, that are, like, all of, like, the different allied races, I think are behind these huge grinds to, like, give you something to do in the game while you are, like, waiting for, like, the next tier of a raid or something, like, to come out or whatever. Um, which is simultaneously, like, a little bit clever, but also, like, a little bit, like, gross, you know what I mean? And, yeah. like, Machiavellian. Um, I watched a video about how Fortnite structures its stuff to do this. Um, it's called Manufacturing Discontent. Oh, it's just a folding ideas video? I watched yeah. this. I, I thought it was uncharitable in a number of places, but I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also agree um, that it was... I also agree that it was, like, really uncharitable in places, and I feel like if you took that same sort of mindset and applied it to anything, all video games would kind of, like, fail this standard. But I will say that I think uh, the some of the principles are very true, right? Like, you know, the idea that it shows you in, like, the season roadmap or whatever, right? Like, the two things that are, that are like, back-to-back, and you go all the way up, and you can see that the final thing that you can earn in a free-to-play way is, like, level 62, but, like, no one is ever going to get to level 62, let alone level 100, even if you have, like, the season pass, just because, like, it's an insane amount of... You know, it's just an insane amount of stuff going on. So, yeah. No, I, I mean, don't know. I, you, you can't, like, if you only ever play Fortnite, you can get there. I don't think it's that impossible. The, the thing that I thought was the most kind of, the the thing that I thought was the most kind of bad biomission in that video was that, like, the, the kind of thing, like, and this is its own kind of ball of wax, but mm-hmm. the season pass, if you get a high enough level you will have enough v bucks to purchase the next season pass so you could potentially combo it together i think the kind of thing if you wanted to make a complaint about it, which i think would be fair is that the incentive is for you to spend your v bucks on things in the store and then have to buy the next season pass right like it, it requires some willpower to do it and it's kind of like everything's designed to kind of tempt you into buying into spending your v bucks early um but I do think that that's a significant thing that got left out of the video that kind of feels like it's an important piece of the analysis. I also thought he was incredibly uncharitable to the gameplay itself. Um, but, you know, that's... that's that's. Oh, uh, do you think... Do you, like, you think Fort... I felt like his criticisms were a lot like your criticisms of Fortnite. So, so I think that the game of Fortnite is fun, but, like, the building thing... I personally don't like, but I don't think it makes it a bad game. It's just like a skill I'm not interested in building. Kind of like with, like, I don't like RTS or I don't like StarCraft style RTSs because I have no interest in learning how to do like fancy build patterns like quickly and do like 
you know, finger rolling on the keyboard. I care more about the tactical combat and watching those battles play out. Yeah. Um, but that's not like that's that, that's not me saying that I think that StarCraft is a bad game. It's just a thing that I don't like about StarCraft, and so it's a game type that I don't enjoy. Um, and I think that uh, the Folding Ideas video painted it much more as a thing that makes it a bad game, which I, I can't agree with. Okay, um, I see. I see what you're getting at. Um, yeah, fair, fair enough. I guess. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I, it was. Uh, it's still an interesting video. I will link it in the description, um, if only because I feel like it's 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 worth a watch with those as long as you keep those criticisms in mind. Yeah. Um. um so, so thing that's coming up this week that I want to alert our listeners to is on April 10th, there's a limited showing of uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, um, which is not a particularly nerdy thing, but it's directed by Terry Gilliam and stars Adam Driver, so kind of nerd-adjacent things. Um, and uh, I don't know how, like, you live in, in film land, uh, you live in La La Land, so you know maybe yeah. <laughs> it's easier for you to see it. But uh, I know for people in the other parts of the country, I think April 10th is going to be, like, the easiest way to go, to go see it. So if you're interested in that at all, I would recommend go seeing it. If any of you are going to happen to be in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area, I'll be in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Come say hi. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, uh, I'm just – I just – I'm ex- it, it has, like, middling reviews on – the different sites, but I like Terry Gilliam and I like Adam Driver, so I'm 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 hyped, I'm hyped to see it. I do like Adam Driver a lot, though I am a little bit less sold on Terry Gilliam compared to uh, compared to most folks. Like I, you know, I I liked Fear and Loathing uh, in Las Vegas, uh, and I also I guess saw Brazil, which is sort of like the only thing I can even. What say do you about not it. like? I loved Brazil. Uh, I was, I was like, you know, I thought Brazil was orange, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just like a tough, <laughs> it's like a tough movie for me to evaluate. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. Um, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like, uh, what, what it was, the shape of water <laughs> where it's just like, I have no idea if it's good or bad. Cause I'm so fixated like, on, um, on yeah. how weird it was. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I like Brazil always felt like if Monty Python did Blade Runner, um, and so I really liked it from 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 that that kind of perspective. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, did you did you have anything else you wanted to uh, talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I feel like we covered we covered it. All right. Well, if you'd like to tell us what you think about. Um, uh, Shazam or Brazil or uh, any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can reach us at somedurbsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somedurbsplaygames.com. You can follow twitch.tv slash somedurbsplaygames. You can um, uh, like us on SoundCloud, give us a review on iTunes, all that stuff. We love it. Um, buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>